0: household growing up. Maybe you grew up in different circumstances than I did, uh, but growing up for me, uh, my family, I had three brothers, and, and especially when I was young, we really did not have a lot of money. Well, like I kind of grew up in a household. We weren't poor. Like We could always like eat, and we, we had some nice things and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't grow up with money. It was always tight, and we were always being careful, so my parents made the decision a long time ago that when they went to the grocery store, they were always going to buy the generic brand, okay? So growing up, I really never knew the real brands. It was always something like this. Like I'll show you here. These are the cereals I ate growing up, okay? Like silly circles. I didn't even know Fruit Loops was a deal until later on. Apple orbits, cocoa nuggets. And that was just kind of like what we did. And, and like if we wanted some chips, we would never get Cheetos. We would always get this number right here. Next slide. We would always get like cheese curls. And you're like, I guess it's the same. And then I'd go to some party if some other can be like, it's not the same, right? And, and then here was most famously what I remember growing up. Next slide. We'll go ahead and go to this. There was mac and cheese. And then there was great value mac and cheese. And here's what it was like for me growing up. Like growing up, I always had this kind of food in my pantry. When we ate dinner, it was always this kind of food. And certain generic foods taste just about the same as the regular one. But let me stand here and tell you with all the conviction in my soul this does not. This does not. And so, what happened for me growing up was I just kind of learned that, and it was normal. And it was like, okay, I'm just going to eat this. For me, it wasn't even like I was comparing because we just didn't have the money to buy this kind of food. So we always had this one. So I always settled for this one, but then I'll always remember the first time I had this kind of food. And it was like this mind-blowing thing that I had been settling for this when this was actually available. Now, why do I say this? Because I think there are millions of Christians, and maybe even some of you in this room, who have settled for this kind of faith, a cheap, watered-down, alternative kind of faith, when the real thing is being offered to you. Let me go a step further. I think there's some of you who aren't Christians in this room. I think some of you are just checking this out. You're not even sure you believe in God or in the Bible. But here's the problem. The God you have rejected is a cheap, watered-down version of God rather than the actual God revealed in the Bible. Like the God you've rejected is the God you heard about on social media that you heard your friend talk about one time, rather than the actual real thing. So here's the problem for millions of skeptics and Christians alike. You have settled for a watered-down kind of faith. You have settled for a cheap alternative. You know what some of you have settled for? You have settled for a faith where you never actually study the Word of God for yourself. What happens is you, your entire faith, is built off someone else studying the Word of God and saying it to you. So the only time you hear the Bible is when your pastor or youth pastor gets up and preaches for it which is a beautiful thing, but you've never actually studied it for yourself. You're always getting it secondhand. For some of you, the only input you have on your faith is TikTok stars or something you see on YouTube, and that shapes your faith, so you never really study it for yourself. You have settled for a cheap, alternative version when the real thing is being offered to you. You've settled for this kind of faith, and this morning, what I want to plead for everyone here to do is to stop settling for this kind of faith And instead, choose the real thing. And I want you to know that there is one thing, one thing you can do in your life, one habit, one practice you will build into your life that will allow you to encounter the real thing, to stop settling for the cheap alternative, and instead have the real thing of God. And that one habit is that you would move the Bible to the center of your life that you would engage it, that you would read it, that you would think about it, that you would study it, that you would talk about it, that you would come to love and adore and have affection for the Bible. That is the singular practice that moves you from cheap alternative to the real deal. I want you to see that here in the first chapter of John. It'll start in verse 19 if you have your Bible with you. It begins this way. It says, Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask who he was. He did not fail to confess, But freely confessed, I am not the Messiah. So what happens here? Jesus comes onto the scene and everyone's talking about Jesus. Everyone sees Jesus. Everyone knows he's around. And suddenly everyone's talking about him. Like you know what happens when like a new person shows up at your school or in your church? Everyone's like, oh, who's he, oh, what's he, oh, where's he from, oh, he's from this place, oh, that's exotic, how exciting, oh, he's from this country, he's from this state, he's from this city, he's from that school across the way, and suddenly, like, you're talking about him, and you're interested, and you're, like, so curious about all the background and all the details, and you just start talking about people who are new. That's what happened here for Jesus. They want to know where he's from and what he's all about and who he really is, and so they go to the guy who's most public at the moment, and that person is John. And John, it says here, it says he freely confesses something. I am not the Messiah. Give me a second here. I am not the Messiah, John says. Like, I am not the Messiah, but this Jesus one who's coming, he is. So what happens? Jesus comes onto the scene. Everyone has tons of questions. They have questions about Jesus, so they come to John, and they're like, tell us what's up. Because we've been waiting for a Messiah, and we're curious if it's you, or if it's possibly this Jesus fella, and John says, I am not the Messiah. Now, why are they even asking this question of who the Messiah is? Like, why are they even taking the moment to ask this question of John or Jesus? What is a Messiah, and why do they care so much? Why are they even asking this question? And the answer to that question is because they know their Bibles. They know the 39 books of the Old Testament and they know that God has promised to send the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, into the world to rescue and redeem his people. And because they know the Bible, they believe that it's actually going to happen the way the Bible said it's going to happen. If you're writing notes today, you can write this. They believe and we believe that the Bible is an accurate guide to reality. Say it again. The Bible is an accurate guide. Guide to reality, meaning it is true. It's not just like a thing that tells us nice spiritual truths that make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's not just a thing we turn to when we need spiritual answers. It is the thing we turn to for reality about life. Again, if you were here last night, you'll remember this. We talked about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word created everything. And even that notion that the universe had a beginning that was so thought laughable for all of human history until about 100 years ago, that is the Bible being an accurate guide to reality. See, here's what these first Jewish people believed. They believed the Bible was an accurate guide to reality. And so rather than just kind of thinking, eh, who cares what it says, they said the Bible says there's going to be a Messiah, therefore there is. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to treat the Bible with the same seriousness that they did. I want you to treat the Bible as if it says something, it's always going to be true. It is an accurate guide to reality. Like um, most of you, um, raise your hand if you drive in this room. Maybe not all of you, but some of you. Okay, you drive. Um, Here's one of the things I've learned about driving in in kind of the era we're living in. Um, When I began driving, there really weren't, like we didn't have smartphones. We had really dumb phones, okay? Uh, And so when I started driving, I had to like use maps to try to figure out where to go. But we don't have to do that anymore, right? We pull open our phone and we punch in the thing and then it tells us which turns to get to to get there. And if every time you opened Apple Maps or Google Maps or Waze, it took you the wrong direction, you would eventually declare, this is not an accurate guide to reality. Because it's not getting me where I think it's going to get me. It's sending me in the wrong direction. But if every time you open up your Apple Maps or Google Maps or, or Waze, it gets you to the right place, here's what that is. It is an accurate guide to reality. And here's my contention this morning. The Bible is an accurate guide to reality. The Bible actually tells you what goes on in life. Let me give you three examples because this seems kind of abstract. Let me show you Proverbs 13.20 up here on the screen. This is a verse I learned a long time ago. Can we put it on the screen here? Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So here's a verse in the Bible, and here's my contention. This is an accurate guide to reality, and I think you all know that this is true. Walk with the wise and become wise? You ever realize that when you hang out with really wise, smart, thoughtful people, you actually become more wise? You ever realize when you hang out with good mentors and good men and women who invest in your life, you actually become better? You walk with the wise and you become wise. That's accurate. But then the second part of the sentence, for a companion, a fool suffers harm. Do you notice it doesn't say walk with the wise and become wise, but a fool suffers harm? It says you just have to be a friend with a fool in order to be harmed. Haven't you realized that to be true? that you don't actually have to be a fool to be damaged and hurt by one? You don't have to be a fool in order to date a fool and have him rip your heart out and hurt you? Have you ever noticed that you don't have to be a fool in order to hang out with a group of fools? And because they make really poor, selfish, and foolish decisions, it harms you and your reputation? See, again, when I look to the Bible, I don't look at it as just like a nice bunch of like fortune cookie things where I'm like, oh, that's a sweet thing to say. I look at it as a map to reality because that's what it is. Let me show you another verse. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 40, or verse 21 says, where your treasure is, this is what Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is actually the opposite of what most people think. Most people think it's like, if I really love something, I'll send my money to it. But it's actually the opposite. Jesus says, wherever you put your money, that's where your heart will flow after. And here's why I know this is true. If I told you, hey, everyone, um, just want to start my sermon with an announcement. I found an iPhone over in the pond today. Uh, It's totally damaged and broken. You'd be like, oh, bummer. But then if you did the double pat or the quadruple pat, and you realized you don't have your iPhone, and then suddenly I hold it up and you realize it's your iPhone, it's not, oh, what a bummer. It's like my life is ruined. Why? Because it's your treasure. And where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If I told you, some of you who drive, if I'm like, hey, uh, out in the parking lot, there was a tree that fell down in the storm. It crushed a car out in the parking lot. I'd be like, oh, that's crazy. But if I was like, actually, it's your car, suddenly it goes from it's crazy to that's devastating. Why? Because that's your treasure. And where your treasure is, your heart will fall also. What's my point? My point is that the Bible is an accurate guide to reality. Let me give you one final verse from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other is in Christ. God forgave you. And here's the wild thing about the Bible. The Bible tends to tell you to do things you don't actually want to do. Because here's what's true of me. Here's what's probably true of you. When someone hurts me, wounds me, gossips about me, says something behind my back, I want to destroy those people. Oh, yeah, I do. You don't think a pastor can feel that way? When someone hurts me, my flesh, my natural reaction is I will hurt them back and I will get even with them. But here's what the Bible tells me to do the Bible says I'm supposed to be compassionate and forgiving to those people. Like, in other words, the Bible says, don't get even with them, forgive them. And I think that's a crazy thing. But then here's what I've learned in my life as I've implemented this command of Jesus. When I forgive people, the person who gets set free is not that person, it's me. And so here's what happens. I realize over and over and over again that the Bible is not just a book of religious ideas or beliefs we're supposed to have. It is an accurate guide to reality. These first Jewish people, when they see Jesus come onto the scene, they take the scripture seriously. And so they begin to ask questions. It goes on this way in verse 21. It says, they asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not, he says. Are you the prophet, he answered. No. So again, they're asking John the Baptist these questions because they're trying to place him in relation to Jesus. He says, are you Elijah? Now, this is a really interesting thing. Do you know that there's only two people in the Bible who never die? If you don't know the names of the people, I've got to tell you, um, I, I've asked that question all the time. Who are the two people? Someone shouted out, Jesus. I'm like, no, wrong. <laughs> he dies. He comes back to life, but he dies, right? Two people who never died. First is a guy in Genesis named Enoch. It says that Enoch walked with the Lord, and he was no more. And it's like, he didn't die. God just like was like, come with me. You know, like, I just think that's the coolest story, and I want my life to be like Enoch, where I just walk with the Lord, and God's like, here, just, just come here. You don't have to die. But, but then Elijah is the other one. Elijah gets caught up in a chariot of fire. It's this wild story. If you've never read it, go read it. It'll blow your mind. So here was the belief, based on one of the final verses in the Old Testament, is that Elijah never died, but he was going to come back. And he was going to come back, and he was going to announce that the Messiah was coming. So they're asking John, are you the Elijah? And he's like, no. And then he says, are you the prophet? Now the prophet, you'll see in your Bible, in my Bible, it's capitalized, the prophet. And here's what it's about with the prophet. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's promised that there's this prophet Moses who leads God's people. But God is going to send a better prophet, a higher prophet, a more wonderful prophet who's going to step in and be the better Moses. And so they're asking him, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. So once again, here's what's happening. They're reaching back to the Old Testament, and they're taking it literally. And here's what a lot of people do with the Bible. They take it as like a children's story that we tell. You know like the tortoise and the hare story? You've heard that, right? That didn't actually ever happen. Just so you know, I hate to spoil that for you. No, there was never a moment where they're like, race. You know, like, it never happened. It's a fable. It's a story. I ruined your childhood. I'm very sorry. Um, we'll see if we can cover your therapy. Uh, that was mean. I didn't mean to say that. But, but here's what I mean. That's a fable. It's a story. It's a made-up story we tell. And even in the Bible, there are some made-up stories that Jesus tells. They're called parables. Like the parable of the Good Samaritan never actually happened. It was a story that was being told. But here's how a lot of people treat the narratives of the Bible, the Old Testament especially. They treat it like a parable. Yeah, I guess that's like a story we tell our kids. David and Goliath never happened. It's just kind of a story we tell our kids. But here's the truth. The Bible is rooted in history, not fantasy. The Bible is rooted in history, not fantasy, meaning Jesus believed that the stories of the Old Testament and the stories of the New Testament were not just fantasy we made up, but rather history that actually happened. And here's how we know it's history and not fantasy. Um, Fantasy, legend, folklore, fairy tales have a very specific way that they're told. And I'm going to tell you two of them and you're going to immediately recognize, oh yeah, 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 that's a fairy tale. Oh yeah, 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 that's fantasy. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a myth that we make up. Here's how myths and fairy tales and fantasies start. It starts this way. Once upon a time in a faraway kingdom, right? It's once upon a time, like super long ago, you'll never remember it. And it's so far away in a place you'll never get to. Or here's the most famous myth fantasy story of our age. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. When did Star Wars happen? So long ago that you couldn't possibly remember. And where did it happen? In a galaxy so far away you'll never get to. See, that's how myths and fantasies work. Here's how the Bible works. The Bible says, in Jerusalem, in Galilee, in Judea, in a place you could actually get to. Meaning, if you drove down to LAX and hopped a plane, in about 14 hours, you could be standing in some of the places the Bible was written. It wasn't written in a galaxy far, far away. It was in a place you could go to. And the Bible was not written so long ago no one could possibly remember. It was written during recorded history when people were writing down books like the one we have right now. People were writing down books, and we have other sources that corroborate the Bible. Meaning the Bible is not just a bunch of made-up stories. The Bible is rooted in history. It is true in everything it says, in everything it teaches. And if you've been convinced that the Bible is just a bunch of made-up stories from long ago, you've not actually studied made-up stories. Because the people who studied fairy tales and myth and history can very easily discern that the Bible is none of those. The Bible is historical. The Bible is telling the story of a real God interacting with real people with real problems in real places. It goes on this way in verse 22. It says, finally, they said to him, who are you? Again, they're interrogating John because they want to understand him in the context of Jesus. It says, give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the path for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet? So notice what John does. John's like, do you want to understand who I am? They're like, yeah, I want to understand who you are. He goes, it was written already in the book. Like in other words, do you see what he does here in verse 23? It says, John replied in the words of Isaiah. Like in other words, John goes, if you want to understand who I am, you have to read the Bible. In the book of Isaiah, here's what it says. And then they're getting frustrated with him, and they're like, okay, but you're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. So they're having this whole conversation, and, and here's what I guess. If you're here this morning and you never opened the Bible, you really don't know much about the Bible at all, a lot of this is really confusing. And so if you're here and you're like, I'm super confused right now, that's normal. And it's normal because they're using the language of the Bible. And if you don't know the language of the Bible, you're going to be confused because that's what happens when we don't know the language people are using. Like, have you ever noticed you can be speaking English and another person is speaking English, but you can just not understand each other at all? This happens to me every time I try to fix something on my computer. Like every time I try to log into Wi-Fi, at my church we have like an IT department, and I go to the IT department, and I'm like, can you help me understand this? And they're like, oh yeah, it's the router and the IP, blah, 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 blah. And they're like speaking English words, but I'm like, I, I know none of this. Like it's all, I know Greek because I studied it, but I'm like, that's all Greek to me. Like I have no clue what you're talking about. And here's what happens. If you don't know the Bible, you will have no idea what's being talked about here. And here's what I want for you. I want you to be a people who know what Jesus is all about, Because you know the Bible. Not just parts of the Bible, not just the stories you've always liked, but the entire Bible, 66 books, all of it. I want you to be a person who knows the Bible because when you know the Bible fully, you can understand Jesus completely. When you know the Bible fully, you can understand Jesus completely. And if you want to know the truth of Jesus, you must be a person who moves the Bible to the center of your life. The Bible cannot be this fringe thing. It can't be this thing you touch on Sundays and maybe Wednesday nights at youth group and occasionally when you feel guilty, it must become as essential to your life, get this, as your cell phone is. Some of you would not dream of going somewhere without your cell phone. I want you to be the type of person who would not dream of going through your life without your Bible. That is what you must do. If you want to know Jesus completely, you must understand the Bible fully. And so here's what we must do. If you want to move the Bible to the center of your life, If you want to be the type of person who understands who Jesus is, you must do three things. And I want you to write these down. Three things you must do. Number one, you must crush your excuses. You must crush your excuses. Number two, you must create a plan. And number three, you must cultivate a lifestyle. Number one, crush your excuses. Number two, you must create a plan. Number three, you must cultivate a lifestyle here's number one crush your excuses there are four major excuses i hear when i say read the bible know the bible study the bible memorize the bible talk about the bible send text messages about the bible post bible verses in your room the number one excuse i always hear we all love to use this excuse is brian i would love to do that but you don't understand my life i'm so busy brian i'm just super busy super slammed with school and life and sports i got all these things and i have no doubt that you are busy but here's what i know you have time to read your bible And the reason I know you have time to read your Bible is because in 2018, Apple destroyed the excuse of I have no more time to read the Bible. You're like, what happened in 2018? What does Apple have to do with this? You know what, 2018, Apple came out with a little feature on your iPhone. If you have another phone, I'm sure it has this too, called Screen Time. You ever just done that report each day? You're like, I've spent four and a half hours every day of my life for the last week on this device. And we all have the gall to be like, Lord, I just do not have time. Author and pastor John Piper said this once. He said the great use, he said of Twitter and Facebook, I would say of our iPhone, on the last day, meaning on judgment day when we stand before God, will be to show that prayerlessness was never from a lack of time. It never was. Like, when I look at my phone, I just go, you know what? I actually have all the time in the world to read the Bible. I just don't make it a priority. Like, I just know this is true for you. I know it's true for you because if you have a toothache and it's really hurting to the point where you can't see straight or think straight, do you just go like, I would go to the dentist to get this fixed, but you know what? I am just slammed right now. I am just so busy. No, you carve out time. You make time for what's important to you. Or here's what I know. But uh, guys, I'm going to pick on you for just a second. Um, let's imagine, and this never happens, I know, but let's imagine you have a camp crush here this week at Hume, Southern California. I know, it never happens, but theoretically, some other camp. Let's think about this. Once you imagine you have a camp crush, you're kind of talking with her, flirting with her, you're like, oh my gosh, is this marriage? Are we about to get married? I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, after the week is over, you get home, you unpack all your stuff, you're home with your parents, telling them about the week of camp, telling them about all God did, and suddenly you get a text from her. And she says, hey... <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you get a text from her, and she's like, hey, uh, I was so fun hanging out with you and getting to know you and meeting you last week at camp. Just so you know, um, uh, we're hosting a, a birthday party for me next week uh, on Saturday night. I just want to extend an invitation in case you want to come. Now, here's what I know of all of you men in this room. I think some of you would skip life-saving sa- medical surgery in order to go to that party. <laughs> You would be like, I could die, but if I go to the, like, you would just, like, assess in your mind, like, nothing else is more important. You would not be like, I would go, but I just need to spend four hours scrolling through TikTok, so I don't know if I have the time, right? Here's why I know this is true. Because you make time for the things you care about, right? When you care about something, when it matters to you, you make time for it. And here's what I want you to know. The God of the universe said, this is who I am, this is what I'm like, and this is what reality is. And that should matter to us to the core of our being. We make time for things we care about. We must crush the excuse that we don't have time. Excuse number two I hear all the time, and I love this one because I think it's actually true. Excuse number two is, Brian, I would read the Bible, but it's super confusing. I tried to read the Bible once. I was super confused, and I don't know what to do with this. And here's why this excuse holds some water. Because the Bible is confusing at times. Like, I think the core message of God's love for us in Jesus is really clear. But I think there's times where I read the Bible as a man who's gone to Bible school, studied theology in undergrad, done a a master's degree in theology. There's times I read the Bible and I'm like, wait, what? There's times I read a name and I'm like, I give up. You know, like it is hard and confusing sometimes. And yet here's what I want to point out in your life. Like there is no other area of your life where you're like, I'm confused so I give up on this entirely. Like, you would just never get to a point where if you got some new iPhone or some new device or some new new computer in your life and it, like, didn't work properly, that you would just be like, well, it didn't work on the first try, so I guess I'll just throw it in the trash and never use it again, right? You would never do that. What do you do when you're confused in any other area of life? You get on the Google machine, you type in the question, and you research it, right? Like, you do work to try to understand it. Why? Because we research things we care about. That is what we do. Like when something matters to us, we take the time to try to understand it. And with the Bible, it's the same thing. And here's the craziest thing in the world. If you had lived like 200 years ago, 500 years ago, you would not have had a lot of options. But you live in the most information overloaded time in human history. If you read a Bible verse and you're like, I don't understand Ephesians 4.21. You know what you can do? Go to the Google machine and type in... What does Ephesians 4.21 mean? And boom, all these things will pop up. Even better. You know what I have? I personally have a Bible. It's a study Bible. And every time I'm confused on a verse, I just go down to the little notes at the bottom. And it's like, oh, here's the explanation for this very confusing verse. And you're like, Brian, I can't afford a study Bible. I just looked on Amazon before this started. It is $27 for my study Bible. Some of you spend more than $27 every time you go to In-N-Out, okay? Like $27 for you to understand the Bible. Why? Because we research things we care about. Excuse number one, I don't have time. Excuse number two, it's too confusing. Excuse number three, I love this one. I'm just not a reader. I'm just not a reader. I'm more of an athlete. I'm more of like a viewer of videos, if that makes sense. Um, I'm just not a reader. I don't don't read. And and, and here's I, I, I believe that if you didn't spend almost the entirety of your day reading. Like for those of you that drive, you're driving around town, you're looking up at street signs, none of you are like... I don't know what street, I just, there's a sign, there's words, I'm just not a reader, I just, I'll just guess, right? You don't do that. Like, here's what I know, you're reading stuff all day, you're sliding through social media, you're like, ooh, provocative post, let me read the caption. But none of you are like, I'm not readers, so I guess I'll just stay in the dark. It's a mystery to me, right? Or, Or let me pick on the ladies. Ladies, I'll pick on you this time. I want you to imagine you have a camp crush. Again, that never happens here, but imagine it happens. You come home. And it's Saturday night, and you're hanging out with your parents, and you're having dinner, and you're telling them about how wonderful the week of camp was, and it's so amazing. You're talking to them, and suddenly your phone buzzes, and it's your camp crush, and you swipe open, and it's a text message from him, but it's a multi-pager. I know, I know, it's overwhelming. You're like, oh my goodness, look at all of this. Oh my goodness. Now, none of you, none of you will be like, I want to read this message from this guy, I so badly want to know what he has to say, but I am not a reader. Mom, will you read this for me? Not going to happen. Why? Because we read things that matter to us. That's what we do. And the reason you would read, ladies, the reason you would read every word of that text message, and not just read every word, but read it over and over and over again in different tones, And a different inclination. Oh, maybe he meant this. Maybe he meant this. And then you gather like a whole group of people. Like, everyone read this text message, right? Right? Why do you do that? Because you read and study things that matter to you. And the God of the universe wrote you a love letter. 66 books. In his word, he has something to say. And for some of us, we just eject that because we're not a reader. Here's what's true. You read things that matter to you. And when you recognize that the God of the universe has revealed himself in Christ Jesus and in his word, you read it. Not because you're a reader, but because it matters to you. And then here's the final thing I hear all the time I get this. Uh, Brian, I just can't memorize the Bible. I'm just not a good memorizer of things. And I always laugh at that because, again, we memorize things that matter to us. Like when you ask me my children's names, I don't have to be like, I have three kids and their names are Grace, Noah, and hope. You're like, I don't have to, I don't have to, like, I've got that memorized. It's locked away. It's important to me. It matters to me. And the silly, ridiculous thing is that we don't just memorize things that matter to us. We memorize things that don't matter to us at all. Like, remember memorizing the state capitals as if that was going to be a really big part of your life? Like, so I say Idaho and you say? Potatoes. (laughs) 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 I really enjoyed that. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to move on from that analogy. <laughs> but here's my point. You have memorized all kinds of things. Some of you, if you're like a baseball fan, you have memorized the entire starting lineup to your team, right? Like you've memorized it. Oh, here's the crazy thing that lineup keeps changing, right? And you're like, I could never memorize the Bible, it never changes. And so what's the point? You memorize things that matter to you. So what are the excuses we must crush? I don't have time. I don't understand it. I'm not really a reader. I can't memorize it. Until you crush those excuses, those will sound interesting and compelling to you. They're not compelling and they're not interesting. And you know that and I know that. And at some point, we just have to say enough. No more. Number one, if you want to move the Bible to the center of your life, you must crush your excuses. Number two, you must create a plan. Here's what creating a plan looks like. When am I going to read my Bible? Some people are like, you have to read the Bible in the morning. There's no verse on that. You can read it at night. Who here is a night owl? Just raise your hand. You're like, I stay up real late. Read the Bible late at night. Read it in the morning. Read it at lunchtime. Read it whenever. Have a plan. Here's when I'm going to read the Bible. Here's how much I'm going to read. Here's the translation I'm going to use. Here's the plan I have. I have learned that people who do the lucky flip, you ever done the lucky flip? You're just like, let's see today, right? Never works out. The lucky flip never works. You have to have a plan. You have to have a system. You have to have like a sheet that you've printed out and said, this is what I'm going to read. Or a Bible plan on the Bible app that you just click the box each day and you read through it. Why? Because when we have a plan, we can actually get things done. The, the problem for a lot of people, it's like this. Um, if you're like athletic at all or you work out, it'd be like you going to the gym. And on Monday, you do bench press. And on Tuesday, you swim. And on Wednesday, you just don't go. And on the Thursday, you do Pilates. The next day, you do like a cycling class. And then you just keep mixing it up. You'll never make any progress. What do you need to do? You need to slowly and methodically and carefully work through something. And that's how you read the Bible. Let me give you two different Bible reading plans for you to consider. And it'll sound funny to you, but it's the way I do Bible reading. Two different Bible reading plans. There's the dark chocolate plan. And there's the burrito plan. Let me talk you through the dark chocolate plan. Let's put the dark chocolate up here. When you have dark chocolate... We got a little picture of that on the screen. When you have dark chocolate, the goal is not eat as much as possible in one sitting, right? Dark chocolate, the whole point is like you nibble a little bit and you taste it and you're like, mm, like what flavors are here? And you just kind of like let it sit on your tongue for a little bit. That's the dark chocolate plan. Here's how that works with the Bible. You just pick a verse and you meditate on it. You think on it. Now in Eastern meditation, this kind of meditation that's out there in the culture, what happens is you're supposed to empty your mind. I want you to know that biblical meditation is the opposite. You're actually supposed to fill your mind with scripture. And so you just sit on the verse that says, be still and know that I'm God. And you just repeat that, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I am God, right? I'm meditating on that. You think of when Jesus, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. You just meditate on that. You let it sit on your tongue. You think it through. You're not trying to read a lot of scripture. You're just trying to read a little bit and meditate on it. But then here's the burrito plan. You got a burrito up here? A burrito, you eat the exact opposite, right? You don't pick out one grain of rice or a bean. You're like, mm, exquisite, right? You don't do that. What do you do with a burrito? You just get it all in your mouth, and you let all the flavors mash together, and you're like, this is wonderful. You're trying to fill yourself. So what's the burrito reading plan? I'm going to read the whole book of Philippians in one setting. I'm going to read six Psalms today. I'm not going to stop on every word and every sentence. I'm just going to try to get as much Bible in as I can in the time I have allotted. That's the burrito plan. Sometimes you meditate on little verses. Sometimes you take a while. There's a bazillion Bible reading plans. Again, you're like, I don't know what a Bible reading plan is. Use the Google machine. What is a Bible reading plan? There will be like a 100 trillion options for you. Pick one. And if you're super confused, you're like, okay, I just really don't know where to start with the Bible. I have a question for every adult in this room. Students, you're not allowed to answer. Adults, you must answer out loud. Here's the question. If a high school student this week walked up to you and said, I need help creating a Bible reading plan. I don't know how to read the Bible. Will you help me get started? Will you help this student? Answer out loud on three, yes or no. One, two, three. Oh, wow. That's the voice of adults in your life who are willing to help you work through a hard thing. And if you, if you do not take advantage of that, that sits on your shoulders alone. This is why it matters for us to be plugged into a local church so that people can help guide us into a plan. Again, if we want to move the Bible to the center of our lives, we must crush our excuses. We must create a plan. Final thing is what? We must cultivate a lifestyle, right? So the idea is not that you would read the Bible. It's that you would become a Bible reader. Do you know that there's a difference between someone saying I'm going for a run versus I am a runner? A difference between someone saying I have a test versus I am a student? When you start to embody that identity, what begins to happen is it flows out of you naturally. Start saying that this week. I'm a Bible reader. Well, I failed sometimes. That's okay. You just keep after it. It's like other things you built into your lifestyle. It's so normal to you that you're actually thinking it's weird that you wouldn't do it. It's like brushing your teeth, right? You don't have to think every morning like, am I going to do this today? I don't know. I... And, and like, let me imagine a scenario. Like, Some of you had a rough travel day yesterday, so I can imagine like, you've had a rough travel day. It's been a busy day. Something goes on in your life, and you end up falling asleep without brushing your teeth. You're like, oh, my, and some of you are like, it would never happen to me. It's happened to you, okay? And you fall asleep and you wake up the next day. There's not a single person in this room who's like, my streak of teeth brushing is broken, so I'm just going to give up because my streak is broken. It's not about the streak, right? What do you do? You get up the next morning, you're like, ooh, that's rough, and you brush your teeth. So here's my little thing in life. You read your Bible every day, and if you miss a day, you just make a commitment. I will never miss two days in a row. If I miss, I'm just going to pick it up the next day. God's not going to smite you with lightning from heaven. He's not going to be like, you missed one day, so you're out. Right? That's not how it works. Read it. Make it a lifestyle. Bring it to the center of your life. It's like taking vitamins. Like if you take a vitamin in the morning, you don't pop it in and suddenly you're like, I am energized. Right? No. What does it do? A vitamin, when you take it over and over and over and over again, it works over the long haul. And it's the same with the Bible. Can I tell you this? I've heard preachers get up and say, every time I read the Bible. I'm just rocked by God's Spirit. Emotionally, I feel it deep. And that's really cool for them. Can I tell you something? That's not the case for me. There are times I read the Bible and go, okay, amen, and I move on. And there are times I read the Bible and it moves me deeply to my core. But you know what? Both are okay. You don't let the emotional experience of reading the Bible dictate whether or not God's working. Because God is not working depending on how you feel in the moment. He is working, period, and sometimes you'll feel it and sometimes you won't. Again, if you want to move the Bible to the center of your life, you must be the person who decides, who decides and determines and declares that you're going to crush your excuses. You're going to create a plan. You're going to cultivate a lifestyle. I remember when this happened for me. I was 15 years old. I was on a winter retreat. We were up at Lake Tahoe. It was this beautiful time right over New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve. We're going, we're doing this worship time at night. The next morning I wake up. It's January 1st of 2004. I was 15 years old. 2004. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I wasn't born yet. Yeah, that's the point. But, but here's the story. Here's the story. It's so January 1st, 2004. I get up in the morning and no one else is really awake. And so I decide to go out um, to the lake. And out at the lake, there's this little dock that we have a little picture of here. Um, and this dock um, is shooting out into the lake. Do we have a picture of that dock? Yeah. So um, I came out and I walked and I sat right here. And I told God that I was done making excuses and I was done saying I wasn't a reader. It was just like this. There was snow everywhere. It was freezing cold. It was the beginning of January and I sat right here on January 1st, 2004 and I made a commitment to God. I'm done pretending. I'm done living off other people's Bible knowledge. I want to be someone who knows the word for myself. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't going into ministry. None of that was even on my radar. The only thing on my radar was this. I want to know God for myself. Like I'm done just knowing God through other people. I want to know God for myself. And I sat at the edge of that dock and I decided that the Bible was going to be moved to the center of my life. And since that day on January 1st, 2004, I can probably count on one hand the number of days I haven't read Scripture. Here's what happened. That day changed my life because I made a decision to crush my excuses, create a plan, cultivate a lifestyle. And it's changed everything about my life. I can stand here with confidence and tell you I have great preachers, great inputs in my life, but I know God for myself. I just don't know things about God. I know the God of the universe. And you can know that same God. I was 15 years old. And some of you this week, here's what you need to do. You need to find your own dock. You need to go somewhere on this camp, whether it's down by the lake or under a tree or sitting out on a lookout spot. You need to sit on a bench and have that moment with God where you decide everything changes right now. Because for some of you, you've been fooling around with the sort of watered down, cheap, imitation kind of faith for far too long. And this week it ends. This week you decide. I am no longer going to lean on other people's understanding of the Bible for my faith. I am instead going to choose the real thing for myself. See, here's how it closes. Verse 26, John says this, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Like in other words, John understands that the whole point of this is that they don't know Jesus, but they should. And here's what I want you to know. We do not worship the Bible. We do not believe in the Bible as some abstract thing out there. The point of knowing the Bible is that we would know Jesus. And I so desperately want you to know Jesus. But if you do not know the Word, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the entirety of the Bible, if that's not a regular thing in your life, you will never know the Jesus that I know. You will never know the Jesus that your youth pastors and counselors know. You will never know that Jesus because that Jesus can only be known through His Word. So here's the invitation what are you going to do with this this week? Are you going to go find your own doc? Are you going to go find your own moment for the Lord to say, I'm done playing around. I'm done living off the secondhand Bible study that other people give to me. I just learned from other people's study of the word, and I'm going to make this a thing for myself. Because again, you can have a cheap imitation, watered down kind of faith. And maybe that's enough for you. But if it's not enough for you, and you want the real thing, it's available for you. And it's available in the book that's sitting on your lap. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for today and thanks once again for your word. God, I pray right now that you would bless and keep the people in this room. I pray that your spirit would be among us and in us. I pray that you would be moving. Father, I pray for someone, even if it's just one young man or woman, who would just take this seriously. And this week changes their life when it comes to the Bible. That no longer do they live off kind of a second hand, watered down, imitation faith, but they would know it for themselves. God, help the Bible be moved to the center of our lives by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said real loud. Amen. Amen.
1: Man, you guys. Can we give it up for Brian? That is so good. The truth of Scripture. I want to highlight something Brian said, you guys. Brian said, you cannot know Jesus without the Word of God. That is so important. And have you told yourself that? And have you asked yourself that? You cannot know Jesus without the Word of God. And so this week at camp, prioritize God's word. Please, you guys, please prioritize God's word. Because if you're in Christ today, you have had a moment like Brian had on that dock where you go, the word of God is a priority. It's not just going to be the priority of my life. It's going to be the number one priority in my life. Because as we see the word of God, not only does it reveal to us who we are, But it reveals to us, more importantly, who God is. And as we know more about who God is, we fall in love with him deeper and deeper and deeper. And so uh, it's so important that we prioritize the word of God, you guys. Hey, so we're going to leave this place and go to something called cabin time. This is for you to meet up with your cabins and talk about the message that you just heard. So um, you guys are going to leave here, meet up with your counselors, and you guys can find a spot around camp in the small camp boundaries and talk and discuss about what Brian uh, has spoken, what you guys are thinking about, um, and your counselors will lead you through that. You'll meet up as a cabin. Uh, So you guys will be dismissed to go to that. If you're from Friends Church, stay back. We have some things to give you because we know that you don't have all the stuff that you need, so we're going to give that to you right now. Everybody else, you're dismissed. Rec Chapel will be at 1115 in this building. Wear closed-toed shoes. Love you guys.